0: Mental health and prayer applications are spying on you. Passwordless logins are coming soon. Lots of location sharing all over the world, unfortunately, and much, much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report number 87, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And I'm
1: Henry from Techcore.
0: And this week, we want to remind you guys again that Patreon is a great way to support us. In fact, we already hit our first goal of 25 patrons. So thank you guys so much for that. We are very, very grateful. Now we are shooting for 50 and every one of you counts. So please consider supporting the podcast and what we do. And of course, if you want something that's a little bit more privacy respecting, Monero is always an option and we are big supporters
1: of Monero. Whatever your choice, we appreciate your support. Thank you so much for helping keep us going. So the highlight story this week is probably not the one you wanna hear and it's that mental health applications have terrible privacy protections, the Mozilla report finds. So this is from Mozilla. The vast majority of mental health and prayer apps are exceptionally creepy. They track, share, and capitalize on users' most intimate personal thoughts and feelings, like moods, mental states, and biometric data. This might not come as a surprise to our consistent audience, but I think it's really worth outlining these things, because these are the real-world examples you can point people to in your life. So the team analyzed 32 mental health and prayer applications for their latest update to their Privacy Not Included series, and they gave 29 of them a warning label, which is almost all of them. And then Nate's going to talk about some more things. So yeah, the worst offenders are
0: uh, a who's who of names. If you're a podcast listener or probably YouTube watcher as well. These include services like BetterHelp, UpEr that I've never heard of, uh, Wheelbot, Wubot, BetterStopSuicide, Prey.com, and Talkspace. Multiple privacy policies say that they collect transcripts and share them for advertising. Actual transcripts. So this isn't even metadata. This is the actual content. And only three companies responded to Mozilla when they reached out and said, hey, we have questions about your privacy policy. So that is not good. I obviously have very strong feelings about this. I've mentioned before in the past that I've been diagnosed with depression before. Unfortunately, we can cite other stories like this that we've talked about. In another story we talked about in a previous surveillance report, one lady said that these are uh, not really getting meaningful consent. You know, like you click, like I accept the terms of service, but people are in a very vulnerable spot when they're using these kinds of apps. And so that's not really meaningful consent because you're taking advantage of people. And it's really a shame that that's what these companies do is they they take advantage of people who are in fragile spots like that and capitalize off of it.
1: It's just like normally we think of companies like Facebook and, and all these other companies that scoop up as much data as possible. And I think we always are surprised by how low they'll go to get that information. And I think this demonstrates that they will literally go as low as humanly possible. People who are dealing with suicide, suicidal thoughts, people who are dealing with depression, people's faith. Like, these are like some of the most intimate moments for people, and they're still willing to dive that far deep into the data realm. So,
0: that just could could you imagine how much of a scumbag I would be if, like, I walked past somebody who was about to jump and was like, yo, before you jump, can I have your Xbox? Like, that's basically what these companies are doing.
1: Yeah, it's pretty much like the lowest that you can go. So I don't know how these people feel good about themselves doing this kind of stuff. And I think it should be a good reminder to everyone listening to this that like a lot of people, if they're given the opportunity to take advantage of your information, they will. And so you have to make sure you're putting your information in the hands of people that you can trust it with from a practical perspective, I wonder how much of
0: how much of what these apps do is covered by HIPAA laws. Cause like I could see, obviously I don't agree with it, but I could see from a legal perspective, the argument that like prayer.com, well, that's a prayer request, that's not a medical thing. But then these other ones like BetterHelp and Talkspace, like they specifically advertise themselves as mental health and like talk to a therapist and talk to a counselor. So like
1: it, it doesn't cover stuff like this. HIPAA is great for like just your doctor and you, in the room, but it's not great at all for this digital stuff. It's the most loosey-goosey, ridiculous stuff. It's like, in order to become HIPAA compliant, you must secure your data. (laughs) Like That's it, that's the requirement. With that, we're gonna move into data breaches. We're gonna
0: start with uh, Riviera Utilities who has exposed customer information. They are a company serving Baldwin County, Alabama. The exposed details include names, social security numbers, driver's license, and or state ID numbers, passport numbers. This is the part where I'm really confused. Medical information, health insurance information, credit and debit card numbers, card expiration dates, and card CVVs for a limited number of customers. Why does my utility company need my medical information? I'm very confused. Like I I reread that a couple of times because I was thinking like this has to be employees, but the article seems to insist that this was customer information. So I have many, many questions. As always, free credit monitoring if you've been affected. They didn't say how long or who it was through. Doesn't matter, they're all a scam.
1: Up next, hackers stole data undetected from the US and European organizations since 2019. APT41 is a Chinese um, APT that's been embedded in tech. What's APT? Uh, advanced Persistent Threat, so like a government hacking, state hacking group. Got it, okay. Sorry. Keep that in then. We'll keep that in, so because I didn't know that, and I'm sure lots of listeners won't. Um, so that's been embedded in tech and manufacturing firms from East Asia, Western Europe, and North America since at least 2019, and they're stealing intellectual property. As always, um, you should read the article for the nice details. The full scope and impact is still being investigated, but it's likely this was a massive undertaking with massive costs to the victims.
0: And our last data breach comes from Heroku, who has finally admitted that customer credentials were stolen in a cyber attack. If any of you listen to Michael Basil's podcast, which I'm sure a lot of you do, you probably already know this drama. Basically, Heroku, a couple weeks ago, they suspended a lot of their functions for customers, and they said that there was a cyber attack. And then just recently, like last week, maybe, they sent a bunch of users password reset emails, but they didn't really say why. They just said, hey, you need to reset your password like now. Well, now they have finally come forward and confirmed that some credentials were leaked. But wait, it goes even deeper. I'm gonna quote the article. Like many users, we uh, unexpectedly received a password reset email from Heroku, even though Bleeping Computer does not have any OAuth integrations that use Heroku apps or GitHub. This indicated that these password resets were related to another matter. It turns out the compromise token for Heroku machine account obtained by threat actors also allowed unauthorized access into Heroku's internal database of customer accounts. It seems like uh, even if you don't use Heroku and GitHub, there is a possibility that you might be affected by this. You've probably received an email by now, if that's the case. At least that's what it sounds like. So I'd, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it if you hadn't received an email. But yeah, that's uh, not exactly reassuring. Needless to say, customers are not thrilled about all of the vagueness and lack of transparency. And now
1: we're going to move over to companies, the first story. Microsoft, Apple, and Google are going to support uh, Fido passwordless logins. So this tech is called Passkeys, and Microsoft especially has been championing this for a long time now. Pretty much, instead of using passwords, they will have the option to opt for verifying people's identities or authenticate themselves using pins or biometric authentication like their fingerprint or face. This could also involve using a phone to verify your login, much like Google and Apple already do, and uh, Nate's going to comment on this one.
0: Sure. So this is kind of a story that made the rounds a little bit, and some of my readers were speculating that this is just another attempt to tracking people, which I understand why you would think that, you know, like they go straight for the phones and phones are a great way to track people. But honestly, I don't think that's the case. Will it be used to track people? 100%, no doubt. I'd be much more surprised if it wasn't. However, I do think that they are genuinely attempting to solve a real problem. People use bad passwords. And I know password managers are becoming more common. Like I actually remember a couple years ago, I was seeing commercials for Dashlane, I think, on Hulu. So like password managers are becoming more mainstream, but they're just, they're not enough. They're not working. And I think they're really just trying to solve a problem. Having said that, there are obviously some issues with this problem. For example, not everyone has a smartphone. Number two, pins. I mean, that's basically just a weaker password. But then also, like, my big question is they, they say that this passkey can be used across multiple devices, and it's almost like a cloud-based password manager in the sense that if you log in now, it, all your stuff is there and you don't have to set everything back up, which is cool. But what happens when someone compromises your passkey? To me, if if the issue is people are not using good passwords in the first place, I don't think we're going to see a dramatic jump in users who go, Oh, I only have to remember one login for the passkey. Cool. I'm going to make that one really strong.
1: It's probably going to be the same crap they've been using the whole time. Yeah. And I have two things to add here. One, Microsoft actually has like legitimate research backing up that people are more secure when they use biometrics instead of passwords. And it's not because biometrics are inherently more secure. It's just that people use passwords terribly. So I do think that is a legitimate concern and there's a solution there that they're trying to fix. The other thing I'll add to your list of concerns though is I know you've talked about this in the past, you can't change your face or your fingerprint. So I know that um, a lot of these biometric authentication methods are hashed. So in theory, the only thing that'll leak would be hashes but um, it might, things might not always be that way. And theoretically, there's, also, there's no way to change your fingerprint, right? Or your, your biometric information. So you can always change a password but you can't change that information.
0: On that note, we're going to talk about
1: GitHub, who is going to require
0: 2FA from active developers by the end of 2023. I'm gonna go ahead and quote the article github announced today that all users who contribute code on its platform an estimated 83 million developers in total will be required to enable two-factor authentication on their accounts by the end of 2023 active contributors who will have to enable 2fa include but are not limited to github users who commit code use actions open or merge pull requests or publish packages developers can use one or more 2fa options including physical security keys virtual security keys built into devices like phones and laptops or time-based one-time password totp Authenticator apps. GitHub is urging you to use TOTP or better. Uh, SMS is also an option, the list didn't say that. But yeah, GitHub is is saying like, we're gonna offer that as an option, please don't use it because it's terrible. So
1: yeah, once again, this is not necessarily an effort at tracking people, you have options. This is only a good thing. I don't wanna hear anyone say this is a bad thing. Like it's just not, TOTP is an open standard. You can import into any open source application of your choice and you can use any open source hardware tokens for this as well. It's not a method of tracking. There's nothing they get from that. Just so everyone knows, we just went on a long tangent of going through our GitHub accounts. So it looks like if you wanna use a security key, as of right now, you have to have another version of 2FA. Um, For myself, it's TOTP, so it's kind of frustrating. You have to have TOTP on the account in order to use a security key, Um, but it does not look like you need to have SMS at all. At least I don't have it, and it doesn't seem like you have to have that on your account, but that's right now. That could change by 2023. All right, up next, Twitter's decentralized open source offshoot just released its first code. So for those who haven't heard about this, Blue Sky is a Twitter open source offshoot, and they have, they're, they're pretty much, their goal is to ha- make a Mastodon essentially. So they've released their early code for a decentralized social network protocol. The system is dubbed the Authenticated Data Experiment, or ADX, and is available on GitHub for devel- developers to test out. Although they are emphasizing it's incomplete. Um, This is really cool because um, this is just something that's been in development for a long time. We've heard very little about it, and this is a huge milestone for this. It's available under the MIT license, so yes, you can go ahead and check this out yourself. Um, One thing that's worth mentioning is that Blue Sky is completely legally separate from Twitter, so even if you're concerned about the Elon Musk stuff, this is truly its own entity, and its it's its own project. And personally, I'm really excited to see this, though it'll be interesting to see how it compares against something like Mastodon.
0: Our next story is about Grindr, whose data sharing problem is bigger than Grindr, according to the headline. I'm gonna quote the article. According to the journal sources, one of the company's old ad partners, Mopub, was freely passing off location data from the tens of thousands of apps that use place-based information to monetize, and that included Grindr. So, I mean, that's kind of the gist of the whole story. Like, we covered an almost identical story last year, about how Grindr was like sharing a lot of user data. This article is basically an update saying it it was worse than what we thought it was. Like there's more information now, we have a better picture, and it was actually worse than originally advertised. So that's kind of all it is, just an update to that story.
1: We're gonna keep the location sharing theme going this week. Um, There's this next story and there's a lot more later. So a data broker is selling location data of people who visit abortion clinics. It costs just over $160 to get a week's worth of data on where people who visited Planned Parenthood came from and where they went afterwards. And this is all from SafeGraph. Motherboard speculates that this data can be abused by vigilantes looking to punish those who got or assisted in abortions, which isn't really a stretch, um, especially with all the stuff going on right now in the U.S., And a similar story, uh, SafeGraph, the same company, said it will stop selling location data about Planned Parenthood to avoid the potential misuse of its data after the Roe decision leak. So there's no word on other location data and their entire business model and how they even stay afloat, but I guess um, Planned Parenthood is safe for, it's probably one of like hundreds of things that they collect that could be possibly sensitive, so that's fun.
0: All right, and then our next story, this is a really quick one. Um, This is kind of one of those articles that you guys should go and, like, read yourself, especially. I mean, obviously, we always encourage you to read all the articles and fact-check us and don't just take our word for things. But the headline for this article says, Mandates disappear, but mask detection tech has left its mark. And this is basically an article talking about how when lockdown first hit and the pandemic hit, everybody was, like, scrambling to ramp up their facial recognition technology and to be able to tech faces even with masks on. And now in a lot of places in the world, lockdowns are going away, mask mandates are going away. But unfortunately, a lot of these companies are not scaling back those features. And they even straight up say, a lot of the companies they they interview in this article straight up say like, yeah, demand for those features are down, but I mean, hey, we've already done the research, we've already made them possible, so why even bother, you know?
1: Back when the pandemic first hit, we were covering stories like this, like every week. And every time we were saying, the problem with this isn't necessarily the issue they're trying to address here, it's the fact that these technologies are probably here to stick around after all of this is more or less passed. So, um, this is that revealing itself.
0: I definitely remember predicting that at the start of lockdown. I think I compared it to the TSA and the
1: Patriot Act. Like, it's it's not going to go away, it's going to be here forever. Here we are. And our final company article of the week. This is kind of, it's more speculative, but the reason I put it in is because um, people can actually take action on this if they wanted to. I'm not saying you should, um, but you should go check it out. So NordVPN is facing a possible lawsuit in the making. Uh, there is an article that you can go check out, and pretty much what's happening is they're investigating numerous complaints regarding NordVPN's potentially illegal practice of making it difficult and confusing to cancel people's automatic subscriptions. NordVPN has designed its cancellation process so as to actually prevent NordVPN users from canceling. These design techniques include overcomplicated navigation menus, hiding cancellation options and gray text on white backgrounds, requiring users to request cam- cancellation multiple times, and requiring mandatory confirmation via email within 15 minutes of completing the cancellation process on their website. So if, this is, if you're a customer and you feel that this has affected you, go check it out and there's instructions on what to do from there. On the objective side of things here, it's never a good sign when companies do these kinds of practices, if this is legitimate and you feel this way about it. Um, it doesn't really scream like a company that's backing their own product.
0: Wait until the people investigating this hear about Amazon. Yep. And most of people. clearly companies. they've never tried to close their Amazon accounts. <laughs> All right. With that, we're going to move into our research section and our first story says your smartphone selfie can see a lot by uh, selfie camera can see a lot by capturing reflections in your pupils. I'm going to quote the article as part of the 2022 conference on human factors in computing systems, a group of researchers from KO university in Japan, uh, excuse me, Keio University, Yahoo Japan, and the Tokyo University of Technology is presenting a novel way to detect how a user is holding a mobile device like a smartphone and then automatically adapt to the the user's interface to make it easier for use. So like, for example, if you're trying to take a selfie and you're holding it sideways, maybe they'll put the camera button like closer to your index finger so you can just move it and click it. Um, I, I mean, really not a bad idea, but obviously this has implications. With a sufficient level of screen brightness and resolution, a smartphone selfie camera can monitor a user's face staring at the display and use a CSA-style super zoom to focus the screen's reflection on their pupils. This reflection, as grainy as it is, can be used to figure out how a device is being held by by analyzing its shape and looking for the shadows and dark spots created as a user's thumb covers the screen. I'll leave you with this. Here's here's what they wrote at the end. Basically, they're talking about how this works. This will potentially further improve as the resolution and capabilities of front-facing cameras on mobile devices do, but it also raises some red flags about how much information can be captured off a user's pupils. Could nefarious apps use the selfie camera to capture data like a user entering a password through an on-screen keyboard or monitor their browsing habits? Maybe it's time we all switch back to using smaller phones that are single-hand friendly and start blocking
1: selfie cameras with sticky notes. Up next, an unpatched DNS bug is affecting millions of routers and IoT devices. This is a flaw in the uclibc library. There's an open WRT fork called uclibcng. Sounds like a star in another galaxy. Yes, it's another project. They have their own library called uclibc library, and this affects up to 200 vendors. So analysts discovered that the DNS lookup requests transaction ID was predictable. Because of this, DNS poisoning might be possible under certain circumstances. Um, this current. There is currently no patch, although all involved vendors and parties have been notified and are working to fix it. Right now, the article simply advises to keep an eye out for updates. Keep yourself up to date this is probably the best thing we can recommend you do and try to avoid IoT devices or keep them on a separate network if you can.
0: Our last research story is one that I was hoping Henry would take because it went right over my head. The headline says Apple Silicon, uh, excuse me, Apple Silicon, exclusively hit with world-first Augury DMP vulnerability. From what I was able to tell, this is basically a vulner, uh, it's a speculative vulnerability, very similar to Spectre and Meltdown were back in the day, but this one even allows you to access data at rest. This is a, uh, again, this is a proof of concept. We're not seeing this in the wild. And I'm assuming it's very complicated because the article said that Apple has been made aware but has not yet confirmed if they are going to do any mitigations on this. I'm assuming they will. Apple, like love them or hate them, Apple usually does try to take security pretty seriously. So I'm assuming they will work on this, but yeah. Congratulations, Apple. You get to be the first company that gets hit with this type of vulnerability.
1: Yeah, so if you're wondering about the severity of it, um, even the researchers say right now it's not that bad. They've not demonstrated any end-to- end exploits with this technique. Only pointers can be leaked and likely only in the sandbox threat model. So it seems like it's pretty well contained. But if you're only if you're counting on ASLR, which is the effective technology in the sandbox, then you should be worried. Um, So I guess we'll just see what happens. It doesn't look like this is something that will, like, impact you today, but yeah, Apple's aware of the details, and we'll just have to see what happens. No system is foolproof. All right, now we're going to migrate over into the politics section, and we're going to start with um, not a great story. So the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, tracked millions of phones to see if Americans followed COVID lockdown orders. So they bought access to location data harvested from tens of millions of phones in the U.S. to perform analysis of compliance with curfews, track patterns of people visiting K-12 schools, and monitor the effectiveness of policy in the Navajo Nation. They paid $420,000 to, guess who, Safegraph, third mention of the day, and they were banned from the Google Play Store just last year. They listed 21 possible uses for this data as you know, I can list uses of data for when I use the restroom every day as well, you know. Um, So this includes how effective lockdowns were to examining the impact of COVID to now to exposure to certain building types, urban areas and violence, and research points of interest for physical activity and chronic disease prevention, such as visits to park gyms or weight management businesses. So we're starting to see this go from, you know, keeping people safe, safe and healthy to, I don't know, their weight management businesses. I don't know. You know, the sad thing is there probably could be some cool data to find there. Like, maybe they'll find that people who went to the gym more often, actually, there were were less deaths found among them because they were getting consistent exercise. So maybe next pandemic, they might find out it's actually worth keeping gyms open. So, like, that's the cool thing is, like, this stuff could be used properly, but why the hell are they purchasing it on the side like this in a super sneaky way? From a third-party company. Yeah, yeah, third-party company. No one knows about. (laughs) No one consented to this. (laughs) So, like... Yeah, that's like the whole frustrating part about this story. It's not necessarily that there's inherently a malicious purpose to this, though I'm sure many of you might think that, and I might think that, or I might not. But it's just a bummer that um, the way that they're getting this data has just no way, there's there's no regulation over this and there's no oversight over any of this, and that's normally the problem we have with all this stuff. Because this is exactly what you wanted your location to be used for when you signed up for Pokemon Go, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just so people are aware, because I don't know if I made this clear enough, this isn't people who downloaded an app to track them. This isn't even part of the COVID contact tracing. This is just from a third-party company like SafeGraph. So if you played a game like Pokemon Go, possibly your location data was sent to SafeGraph, and now the CDC is going behind the scenes and getting that information from SafeGraph. That's why this is big news. It's not just because they're collecting this data, it's the means of which they're getting this data. You might've not had anything on your phone relating to anything COVID related, and you still might've been sucked into this. That's the problem with this. I just wanna highlight that. Real quick, we have an almost identical story coming out of Canada. Says Canadians trips
0: to liquor stores and pharmacies tracked via phones during pandemic. So basically there was a, I don't think I included, Who it was in the notes but uh there was a committee or organization somebody who did the research and they turned over a report to the canadian mps the members of parliament and even the mps were like this is way overkill bro I'm going to quote the article MP on the ethics, MPs on the ethics committee uh, expressed surprise at how much detail the report contained, even as all identifying information was stripped out. Questions were made about the specifics of the data provided if Canadians rights were violated and what advice the government was given said Damien Keurig, conservative MP for Battle River Crowfoot. The committee on Wednesday released a report on its overall probe into the agency's collection of phone data during the pandemic. It concluded the government should tell Canadians if it collects data about their movements and allow them to opt out. So even the government was like, we went a little too far on this one.
1: All right, up next, every ISP, internet service provider, Comcast, etc., in the US has been ordered to block three pirate streaming services. The domains are israel.tv, israel-tv.com, and sd. as well as, quote, related domains listed in the rulings and any other domains where the copyright infringing websites may resurface in the future. The article failed to expand on why these sites in particular were targeted, and the owners have gone to great lengths to remain anonymous, so we don't really seem to have their side of the story either. Um, We included this because it's kind of a potential slippery slope scenario, um, including like what sites can be allowed and not allowed in the US, so make up your own minds, and that's the story.
0: Alright, so our next article, the Staten Island District Attorney bought Clearview face recognition software with civil forfeiture cash. Okay, so the background here is there was an investigation last year that showed that the DA was using Clearview AI for some reason. The DA said that they did stop using it, quote, as an investigative tool, unquote, last year. I don't know if that's just the fancy way they worded it and said we've stopped using it, or if that's their little loophole to be like, well, we stopped using it for that purpose. Either way the people who were doing this investigation, the uh, news outlets and and various reporters, continued to dig and found that the tool was paid for using civil forfeiture funds. And for those of you who don't know, civil forfeiture is basically, um, I am not making this up. This is going to sound really biased, but it's not. Uh, If you get arrested, the cops can pretty much take whatever they want and then sell it off and keep the money. So like, if I got arrested, the cops could take my camera my computer you know my my nice studio monitors here like all of my equipment and sell it off and be like cool there's a couple thousand dollars that we can pocket and use to buy clearview ai the police in my area do use clearview ai and i'm not happy about it It, in fact here let me just quote the article the program lets state and federal police hand seized cash and property over to a federal law enforcement agency whereupon up to 80 percent of the proceeds are then sent back to the original state or local department to pocket And that's actually like a modified like loophole for, uh, in certain places, civil forfeiture has been outlawed. And so this is a federal program. That's actually a loophole to get around that. I have very strong opinions about this story and I'm sure you guys do too, but we'll just leave it at that. That's the story. Uh, the DA has hopefully stopped using Clearview, but they paid for it with civil forfeiture money. Our next story comes from Australia where the border force has searched 822 phones in 2021, despite having no power to demand passcodes. The article says there is no legal compulsion for a traveler to provide a password or passcode or provide assistance to an electronic device at the border. If the person refuses to comply with the request and a border officer considers there to be a risk to the border, then the border force can seize the device for further examination. There is no limit on time for how long the device can be held for. The agency said the policy is to keep the device for no longer than 14 days unless it will take longer to examine the device. Border Force said that a phone would only be seized where officers suspected it has special forfeited goods such as illegal pornography, terrorism-related material, and media that has been or would be refused classification. I would say the moral here is to know your rights at the border because in the U.S. that's kind of a hot topic right now that's still being fought out in the course is like can Border Patrol demand you unlock the device and stuff like that. It, honestly though if we're being practical it's kind of a double-edged sword because you know it's kind of like Here in the US, if you get pulled over and the cop thinks you were driving drunk and they ask you to submit to a breathalyzer, you can say no, but you'll get your license taken away and you'll get arrested. And that's kind of where you are with this is like, you can tell the cops like, no, I'm not unlocking my phone for you, but then you run the risk of just having your phone taken away entirely. So yeah, it's not a good place to be in, but you should still know your rights anyway. So that that way, at least you can make that educated, informed decision on what you want to do. And then our next story, this is just going to be a real quick update. The CNI admits to having spied on Aragones and Puigdemont's environment with judicial authorization. So I think this was last week. We talked about Pegasus being deployed against Catalan. Maybe it was a couple weeks ago. Once again, this is a translated article, so pardon the grammatical errors. The director of the CNI admitted this Thursday that they had spied on pro-independence leaders and officials, but only 18 of the 67 names mentioned in the Citizen Lab report. So either someone else is doing the spying or they're just not admitting to everybody. Just go ahead and read the article if you want the full list of
1: names and the full statement. And our final political story is a good one. So VPN providers are threatening to quit India over the new data law. So last week we talked about this very misleading India article where they kind of just kind of say the good things about this new cybersecurity policy. And then they go, oh, hey, by the way, we're also making everyone log for like five years, including VPNs. And people picked up on it. Normally these stories don't pick up uh, much steam, but they actually did pick up a lot of steam. And so the title says it all, ExpressVPN, Surfshark, Proton, Nord, all of the main VPNs are speaking up and expressing their concern. And they're saying that they're going to adjust their infrastructure to escape the regulations, and some of them are just unable to comply, especially the ones that are running on uh, RAM-only servers. So. This looks like it might be a fight waiting to happen, so we'll see what happens, and make sure you're subscribed to Surveillance Support to catch future updates. And now we're gonna migrate over to FOSS, free and open source news. First one is also from a VPN provider, Molvad. We talked about Molvad hinting at Monero support, and they now officially accept Monero. They run the wallet and Node themselves, and they do not rely on any third parties. They do not provide refunds or account recovery for Monero transactions, which is fair, but all purchases using Monero as well as other cryptocurrencies get a 10% discount. So very cool. We're glad to see that private cryptocurrencies are being supported by more VPN providers.
0: Telegram Premium appears in beta with exclusive reactions and stickers. Telegram, for those who don't know, is uh, actually trying to monetize. Like, for years, they've been totally free. They haven't had any kind of business model or revenue strategy whatsoever. So this is apparently their latest effort to try some different strategies to monetize. It appears right now that the premium features are certain stickers and reaction emojis and they will be uh, blocked by free members. So if you're like a paying member and you use one of these emojis, all the free people can't see it because you know, you're know you exclusive and cool and whatnot. No other details are currently known. We don't know if there's gonna be other projects or other products included with this subscription. We don't even know what the price is gonna be. This is all based on a beta release. And uh, you know they haven't made any official announcement, but Telegram, the client at least, is open source. So people who use it downloaded it, looked
1: at it, and said, oh, this is here, this is interesting. Up next, really quick story, congestion control arrives in Tor 0.4.7 stable. So this will hopefully speed up the network a little bit as that's what congestion control predominantly affects for the normal end user.
0: All right, and then we just got a few updates. We have Tails 5.0. This includes Cleopatra replacing Open GPG applet, which was no longer actively developed. There are, of course, other releases. Nextcloud Hub 24, you can undo send and schedule emails. You can reply to calls and messages directly in the desktop. There are
1: now reactions in the Talk app, and of course, much, much more. And finally, Google has fixed an actively exploited Android kernel vulnerability. And it's just another good reminder, we always like to throw these in here, update your stuff, or just use automatic updates. With
0: that, we will move into Misfits. Our first story, cyber spies breach networks via IP cameras to steal exchange emails. A newly discovered and uncommonly stealthy advanced persistent threat group is breaching corporate networks to steal exchange emails from employees involved in corporate transactions such as mergers and acquisitions. And that is uh, on-premise and online emails. This sounds a lot like the story towards the top with the data breaches. I don't think it is. Mandiant, the company that discovered this, is attributing this one to Russia, whereas that story was China. So I think, there's that much corporate espionage and spying going on right now. Once they successfully obtained privileged credentials to the victim's mail environment, they began making exchange web server API requests to either on premise exchange or Microsoft 365 exchange online environments. So basically they got in through the cameras and then from there they were able to pivot pivot. So I think uh, the real moral of the story, the reason that this caught my attention is it's just a reminder that firewalls and VLANs are your friend. Put things on separate networks. Like Henry said a little bit, a little bit ago with IoT devices,
1: just be sure to separate things and keep them very well firewalled. All right, up next, Microsoft Edge has overtaken Safari as the world's second most popular desktop browser. Edge now has just over 10% market share on desktop. Chrome remains number one with 66.64%, Safari is in third with 9.61%, and Firefox is in fourth with 7.86%. On mobile, it's Chrome, Safari, then Samsung. So power of defaults is pretty impressive, though it looks like Edge is starting to um, get ahead of Safari. So I guess we'll see what happens. Our next story comes from India, where it says India's new
0: super app has a privacy problem. I'm gonna go ahead and quote the first, uh, I guess like paragraph or two of the article, cause they sum it up really well. On April 7th, Ranendra Oja, probably screwed that up, my apologies. A marketing professional in the Eastern Indian city of Calcutta was looking forward to installing and using the new super app, Tata New probably screwed that up too. Super apps are umbrella mobile applications under which companies offer a bunch of services. But as soon as Oja installed and signed up for New on his phone number, he was appalled to see that this newly launched app already had three of his old addresses along with his full name, details he had never before shared with the app. As he dug further, Oja realized that the app seemed to pull data from the grocery app Big Basket, which Oja frequently uses. Like Big Basket, Tata New is owned by the almost 155-year-old Tata Group, one of India's largest conglomerates and a household name. The Tata Group sells everything from salt to software and recently forayed into the world of consumer tech through a slew of acquisitions. At the end of the quote, another user said that his wife's old office address was listed, which they claim they have never used for anything. I don't know if there's much of a lesson there other than just, just be aware that companies suck up a lot of data and they correlate it and they connect it. And usually they don't tell you because it'll freak you out, like in this case, but they're still doing it anyways. And then our next story, Pixiv and DeviantArt artists were hit by NFT job offers pushing malware. I mean, that's kind of the story, but the really the main reason I wanted to share this is just a reminder that wherever the money is, that's where scammers go. So right now, the crypto space is rife with hacks and scams. And that's why, because right now that's a hot space where everybody's putting their money. And same thing with like, you know, when everybody went into lockdown and uh, everybody was going on unemployment, all the scammers went and set up fake unemployment accounts because that's where the money was. So if you want to dabble in high risk, high reward stuff like crypto, obviously go for it. We're not here to tell you what to do with your money, but just always remember wherever the money goes, the scammers go. So be careful
1: and be on guard in everything you do. And finally, the U.S. agricultural machinery maker, AGCO, was hit by a ransomware attack. They're one of the leading US-based agricultural machinery producers, and they announced this ransomware attack impacted some of its production facilities. This is just a good reminder that cyber attacks and ransomware attacks and all of this stuff isn't always just about the data and your information. Uh, it can actually impact basic things. You know, We're in a digitally connected world. We've already seen things that impact um, the meat industry. Uh, we've seen things impact agriculture now. We've seen things impact the health industry and hospitals. We've also seen things um, Who remembers the pipeline incident so um for those who don't really value this stuff you should really be looking into this a little bit further because these things will seriously impact you in one way or another at some point in time and i think this goes back into the discussions nate and i've had in the past about like making sure you're prepped for this kind of stuff i don't
0: remember if i said it back then but uh my one of my family members lives further up on the east coast like downstream of the pipeline and I remember her texting me and saying there's a 2 hour line for the gas station right now. I've gotten to the point where I fill up at half a tank now.
1: All right, and now we're going to go over into our Patreon Q&A section. These are for our patrons, they ask us questions, we answer a few questions every week. And so if you want to ask a question, join our Patreon. We only got 2 questions this week, so if you know, we have space for more probably. So go ahead and join our Patreon and ask us some questions for next week. So the first question is from Altera. They asked if Surveillance Support will get its own community. Um, as of right now, we have no plans of doing so, and we're not really interested in it. Each of us, the New Oil and Techlore, have our own communities, um, which you can join, which are both on. I don't know if the New Oil is on Discord, but we're on Discord and Matrix, and I think the New Oil is on Matrix. So you can join those communities, but we're not planning anything as of right now.
0: All right, our next story. Or yeah, Force I have it. All right, our next question comes from Alan, who says, obviously you are both pro-cryptocurrency.
1: I guess we've said that. <laughs> well, why don't <laughs> we pause there, actually? Why don't we break that up into two? You can go first on that.
0: Okay, so, I, I mean, just to, to put it simply, um, I like cryptocurrency as an idea, the idea of giving more financial power back to people, because historically, finances are a great way to oppress people, you pass these financial laws and regulations that favor one group of people over another and bam. So I like cryptocurrency as an ideology, but you know, uh, and the question's going to go into this. But it, yeah, there's a lot of scams and garbage stuff that is piggybacking off of cryptocurrency that I'm not a
1: fan of. Yeah. And then on my end, I, I think like 99% of the space is just hot garbage. So I think it's funny that like you ask. obviously you're both, cro- both pro cryptocurrency because like I'm not. I just tweeted recently, it's like, I hate most projects in the crypto space. I think it's overall just a very terrible bloated industry that's out there just to make money. But as of right now, there's no way for two people on opposite ends of the world to transact money without any middle people involved, especially in a private manner. And I really think that Monero is the only project solving that problem right now. So for me, like I really believe in privacy coins just because I really like the use case of being able to privately transact things. But outside of that, I just, I don't care about most of the crypto space, personally.
0: Yeah, that plays into the rest of the question. So he says, obviously, you're both pro cryptocurrency, which we just addressed. But obviously, there are a lot of scam coins and applications, which we both also agreed with. Uh, What is your process for deciding if a particular system uh, is legitimate or a scam? My answer to that is, my first question is always, what problem are you solving? Because more often than not, people, I feel, and for the record, I'm not heavily involved in the crypto space, so maybe I'm wrong, whatever. But it seems to me as an outsider that most people are just making things up because they can't. There's literally 10,000 coins, I think there's more than that, listed on Coinbase. You cannot tell me that 10,000 different people looked at a legitimate, unique problem and went, I can fix this. So to me, that's always my first question is like, what is the point of this thing? Unfortunately, I personally feel like a lot of it is just designed to lock you into an ecosystem, especially with Web3 stuff. You know, you sign up for this website and you get paid for posting content or whatever, and it's your content, but also like you get paid in this one obscure coin that's only accepted on like two exchanges that have been around for less than a year and operate out of czechoslovakia no offense to czechoslovakia and you know i i don't know to me it's just that's what i look for is like the first question is what problem is this solving and then i also look at like how interoperable is it how easy is it for me to take your coin and turn it into another cryptocurrency that i want to use like monero or something so
1: yeah and oh man i'm I'm gonna ruffle some feathers with this This for uh, odyssey listeners Man, we can't do crap with the Odyssey things that you guys tip us. There's like four exchanges in the whole world to use. I think three of them don't work in the U.S. And the one that works in the U.S. is like this sketchy website that there's no way in hell I'm going through that stuff. So all of the tips that, at least on the tech lore front, from Odyssey, which we have a lot of, Totally unused. Like I'm not going through that process. So I think it like speaks to just how ridiculous some of the crypto stuff is. I wish they just used a normal cryptocurrency and didn't try to invent their own thing. Cause I don't know what to do with the library tokens that you guys send us. That's the biggest one that pisses
0: me off. If it's like, if it's a web three thing and it's like, Oh, we're going to pay you with our unique coin. I just
1: immediately lose interest. And I'm like, all right, I got better things to do with my day. Someone asked us about um, adding bat support for surveillance support. And I think this, there's many reasons we don't want to include BAT for surveillance report, but like this ties into that as well. We don't want to be locked into having to go through Uphold and Gemini, which are the only two options to like actually get that money. If you send us Monero, these are our own wallets that we control, and we can send it to any exchange we want, and we have full control of the funds. So that's why we like Monero. It also allows you all to, to like donate to us privately. We don't need to know who the hell you guys are, and that's the coolest part about it. So yeah, actually, I'm gonna fight back. We're not both pro cryptocurrency. Like I said, I like the idea
0: of it. I think it's just been co-opted. And that is all of our stories for this week. We had mental health and prayer apps spying on people, which is egregious. I think we can all agree on that. Passwordless logins might be coming soon. We'll obviously keep you guys updated on that as we hear more. Lots of location sharing, turn off location data, check your permissions, turn off location data, and much, much more. That, again, we will keep you updated as we hear more on these stories. Patreon. That is currently one of the best ways to support us. We appreciate the fact that it is reoccurring. Honestly, like, that's really helpful for content creators. Recurring stuff like that lets us kind of budget and know what's coming up and lets us know what we have to work with. So... Patreon, please. We, Like I said, we hit 25 uh, patrons, which we are super, super grateful for. Our next goal is 50, and you can be one of those 50. Get it on the ground floor, man. For those of you who want to support us privately, again, we totally respect that. We are big fans of Monero. We have Monero Wallet. Go ahead and check that out. We want to thank all of you for listening to the Surveillance Report. The final thing we want to ask of you, as always, share the podcast around. Make sure you are subscribed. Give us a rating if you're on a platform where that's an option. I always recommend if there was a particular story that jumped out at you that you think someone you know might be interested in, send them that, send them the timestamp, be like, dude, check out this story. We want privacy to reach as many people as possible and you can be a very important part of helping us do that. Thank you again for listening and we will see you next week.